Mark eleven twenty seven 27 uh, through 12, 12. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get, some, uh, to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he, said to him, uh, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that in in, in all this world, Lord, there's so many things vying for our attention, but one thing is necessary to just follow Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would teach us today that you would enlighten our, our minds and our hearts to receive the truths that you've recorded in scripture. Lord, I pray that you would speak your words to us today, that you would teach us, Lord, not just so we can pack our brains with information, but so that we can be transformed by your spirit from the inside out. Lord, bring transformation to us today as a people, as individuals. God, would you make us more like Jesus as we dive into uh, your instruction for us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. At some point or another in life, um, we've all probably encountered uh, some form of poor leadership. Maybe you have served under poor leaders, or maybe you've even struggled as a leader yourself. There's no shame. Leadership, leadership is really hard. It's really difficult, but it's so important. Maybe you know the difficulty. Maybe the difficulty of, of being uh, under ill-equipped leaders is a daily reality for you because of, uh, of an employer um, or, or a teacher or a coach, even, um, even a pastor or a parent. Uh, are, are leaders, and so um, we can be, we can struggle under that. Maybe at times you, you've spoken up, maybe you've tried to bring attention to problems in, in, in your job or in the home or whatever it may be, and you've been ignored or you've been criticized, or maybe you've even lost a job or were passed up for a promotion because of it, and so you, you suffer unjustly under another's leadership blunders even the leadership in our country, right? At the highest level, where we should have the most confidence 
in the integrity and ability of our leaders, yet it's just disappointment after disappointment. Not all of them are equipped. See, what we need is not for people to have more authority. What we need is for those who are in authority to be better leaders. We need good leaders. And so what this world needs is what our hearts need. We don't just need more authorities out there or different authorities or the same people with more authority. We need good leaders. And so our passage today tells a story about how Jesus' leadership and authority is proven to be far superior to that of Israel's religious elite. This common carpenter, a young, small-town prophet, bests the top religious minds in the country. See, the day after Jesus goes to the temple, right? He goes into the temple and he starts chucking tables and driving out the corruption. The next day, Jesus returns to the scene of the crime, so to speak. He shows up and he's immediately confronted by three groups of people. We're told that, that uh, they, they approach him. It's the, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now, these three groups of people represent the Jewish ruling council, or otherwise known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the highest religious authority the Jewish people had in the religious world. They were the final authority on all theology and all practice. And so after Jesus' antics the previous day, they immediately spring into action. This isn't the first time that Jesus has been confronted by the religious leaders, but this is the epitome. This is the highest echelon of leaders in all of Israel. And this is the beginning of the greatest confrontation Jesus will have with them prior to his arrest and crucifixion. And so they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Now in their minds, there are two options. There are only two options for Jesus. Who gave you this authority? Jesus can either say that his authority is from God or else his authority is from human authority. He can say that he is, he's come from God, that he is the Messiah on the Lord's work, or he can say, I just thought it would be a good idea one day to do these things. And it's just my idea, right? And so those are the only two options that the religious leaders think Jesus has. And, and so Ultimately, they come to him and, they, and they, think, they think they've tricked him. They think that they've stacked the deck against Jesus. It's a trick question. In their minds, nobody has the authority to do what Jesus is doing, especially not what he did in God's temple. And so Jesus says, if Jesus says that his authority is from God and that he is the Messiah, they can hand him over to Rome as an insurrectionist. Here's, here is someone trying to overthrow Caesar. Take him, Rome, do as you will, and Rome will not treat him kindly. Or if his authority is human authority, then they can label him a false prophet. And if the people don't stone him, they'll certainly stop following him. But Jesus understands this trick. He understands what they're trying to do. He understands that they're trying to lead him into a catch-22, that he's darned if he does and darned if he doesn't, and he's not going to play their game. 
He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't play their game. Instead, he turns the tables on them and he exposes them. He exposes their lack of leadership. He exposes them as frauds and calls to, uh, calls to attention that they are bad leaders. He answers their question with a question. He says, was John's baptism, meaning John the Baptist's entire ministry, everything that he was doing to baptize for repentance, was John's ministry from God or from mere human authority? And so they all kind of get together and they huddle up and they're like, well, if we say, you know, that it's from God and they realize what Jesus is doing to them, that he has done the same thing to them. He has given them a trick question. And they're, they're gathering together. If, if we say that it was from God, then he'll say, why didn't you believe him? Because the, the, the religious leaders were known uh, opponents to John's ministry. But if we say that it was from man, all the people thought John was a prophet. And so if we say that it was from man, then, then they were afraid of the people. And so they, they come to him and they, the only way for them to save face is to choose ignorance. Right? They say, we don't know. But by choosing ignorance, they acknowledge that they do not have the wisdom, they do not have the discernment or the courage required to guide God's people into God's will concerning John the Baptist. These are the religious elite, and they do not have the wisdom to make a decision about John the Baptist. And therefore, they cannot be trusted to guide God's people concerning Jesus. Jesus says, because you can't answer, because you have no answer, you do not even have the authority to ask me the question. If you can't judge for yourselves about John, then you can't judge me. You don't even have the authority to ask the question. He says, I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from. And so Jesus is standing trial in the form of this, this public debate. He's being, he's being questioned by the prosecution, and yet he plays the role of the judge. It's interesting. They say, they come to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And he says, I'm going to ask you one question. Answer me. He asks this question, and then again, commands them, answer me. And immediately, they're scrambling to find an answer. He, they, they come to him as judge and jury. And with one question, Jesus flips the tables on them and shows them who is really in charge. And by doing so, a few things are revealed about Israel's leaders. One, they're hypocrites. Their, their judgments, their, their, uh, their practices, their rules, their answer wasn't motivated by truth, but their desire to retain their power and influence. Any leader, spiritual or otherwise, who is more concerned about making decisions that make people happy than they are about making right decisions is not a good leader. Every leader will make unpopular decisions, but good leaders make unpopular decisions from integrity. Their priority is doing the right thing, not keeping their power. Listen, at, at some point, the leaders of this church, myself included, I will let you down. I will disappoint you. I will make a decision that you don't like. The pastors will make a decision that you don't like. It's going to happen. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to make everyone happy. We're trying to be holy together. We're trying to follow Jesus together. And so what you can hold us accountable to, your leadership at this church, is integrity. Is integrity that we make those decisions 
from a place of honesty and integrity and, 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 and seeking wisdom from God and counsel from others. But you will be disappointed by the leadership at any church. If you, if you ever find the perfect church, it'll only be in the kingdom of heaven where Jesus is on the throne and every decision makes everyone happy because there's no sin to get in the way. Lord Jesus, please come. We're going to make bad decisions. Or sorry, we're going to make unpopular decisions. And you know, I'll probably make a bad decision too. But we're doing this together not to be happy, but to be holy so that God's people, his, his family, would pursue him in holiness and look more like him every day and in every way. But these leaders are hypocrites. They're not concerned about the truth. They're not concerned about right and wrong. They're only concerned about their power. And this makes them not only hypocrites, this makes them cowards. They're unwilling to take a stand because they're afraid of the response of the people. Matters of, of good and evil and truth and lies, heaven and hell, there is no sitting on the fence. We can't sit on the fence. There are those who are honestly and, and earnestly seeking understanding and haven't yet come to a conclusion, that's fine. That's okay if you have not yet come to a conclusion, but are honestly seeking answers about Jesus. That is fine. But there are those who choose ignorance. There's those who choose agnosticism out of cowardice. You know, the word agnostic, which it's so hip right now to be an agnostic, to say like, I'm spiritual, but I like, I, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm on the fence about the, you know, all of this thing. You know, the word agnostic means without knowledge. I've never seen so many people so proud of not knowing something. It means without knowledge. And so if you're here and you're without knowledge, let's seek it together. Let's seek knowledge together. There's plenty of opportunity to learn who Jesus is and what he has done to make a decision. But if we remain on the fence, oftentimes it's because we don't want to experience the rejection we'll receive from our friends if they find out we're following Jesus. Or we don't want to experience the rejection of our, of our family if they find out we're not following Jesus. Just be honest about where you are with Jesus and, and, and stop trying to make people happy, but be honest with where you're at because in that honest place, Jesus will honor and lead and show who he is to you. And so this shows that the religious leaders, they're not at all leading the people. They're using the people. They're using people for their own gain. That's not leadership, that's abuse. That's abuse. The religious leaders were abusive leaders. They're using the people to give themselves power and they're serving themselves instead of the people. And so from an, a, a supervisor who takes credit for another person's work to a politician who changes their position on something in order to stay in office, this is using people for their own gain. It's not leadership. It's abuse. And so with one simple question, Jesus exposes Israel's ruling council to be frauds. They've got no right even to ask him the question. So Jesus doesn't justify them with a response. Listen, questions that are asked of Jesus 
from a heart of faith, Jesus will answer. Jesus will answer. Some of you are here and you don't know who Jesus is. You're not sure who Jesus is. And if you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I just want to know. I want to know who you are. I want to know if, if what your word says is, is true. I want to I know you. He'll reveal himself to you. I have, I have all the confidence in the world that when you approach God in faith, that God will meet you in that place. But if you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, prove yourself to me with all the kindness and love that the Savior of the world has when he was crucified on your behalf, he will come to you and he says, I don't answer to you. I don't answer to you. I don't have to answer that question. I want to answer that question, but I want to engage a heart of faith. See, these members of the Sanhedrin, they, they get it wrong. They've got no right to make demands of Jesus. And so at the end, they stand there humiliated and with nothing to say about it. The, the, the public debate, the sphere of public debate in the ancient world was a really powerful tool in honor-shame cultures. The, the religious leaders know exactly what they're doing. They confront Jesus publicly because if they can best him in debate, Jesus will be shamed and they will be exalted. And so that doesn't happen. They stand there utterly humiliated with nothing to say about it. And Jesus receives glory and honor for having more wisdom, more discernment, more knowledge than, than even the highest religious authorities in Israel. And since Jesus uses this opportunity to show the people how all of what's taking place, even this confrontation with the religious leaders, how all of it, all of the what's taking place fits in with God's greater story of redemption. See, the parable of the tenants is a description of how God's people have been victims of leadership failure throughout their history, but how they've also been constantly pursued by a good God. See, the key to understanding this parable, the parable of the tenants, is to see how Jesus is reflecting on a very similar, but what would have been a very well-known parable in the Old Testament. See, Jesus mentions a tower. He mentions a wine press in this vineyard. And so this is a group of people. These are the religious elites. They've memorized their Bible. It would call their attention to Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 2. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with cho choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. This, this poem, this parable in Isaiah, in Isaiah is a story about how God gave Israel every opportunity to flourish. He found a fertile hill. He planted a vineyard on that hill. He's comparing Israel to a vineyard. He, he, he did everything necessary. He planted the choicest vines so that they would flourish and produce good fruit. But Israel produced bad fruit. They didn't produce good fruit. And so Jesus sets up his parable with the same setting, except he introduces new characters. 
It's the same, it's the same setting, but with new characters, the tenants. The reason that God was not receiving the fruit that he desired from his vineyard is because the ones in charge were keeping it for themselves. That's, that's why God's vineyard wasn't producing fruit. It's because the leaders, those who were put in charge of it, were not giving him his due. And so throughout the story of the Bible, God constantly sent the prophets to call the kings and the people to repentance. These are the servants in the story. It's the prophets that God repeatedly sent to God's people to call them to repentance, to call them to follow God in righteousness and justice. But they ignored the prophets and sometimes they even killed the prophets. And so Jesus is, sorry, those challenging Jesus' authority in this passage are no different. They're confronting God's prophets. They have confronted and opposed John the Baptist, who was a prophet, and now they are confronting and opposing Jesus. They're interfering with God's relationship with his people. They're interfering with what God is trying to do in the hearts of his people by opposing Jesus. They're using the people to give themselves power rather than submitting themselves to God. And so God's goodness is seen in this parable. Though, though the owner of the vineyard, and he represents God, and he's sending prophet after prophet after prophet, servant after servant, who's beaten, rejected, humiliated, and killed. God's goodness is seen in this parable by his persistent pursuit of his people. God persistently pursues his people. See, the wicked tenants in the parable are a picture of the leaders who killed the prophets. The most famous example of this in Scripture is King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. They were, they were radically opposed to the worship of God. And Jezebel worshipped Baal, and she went to great lengths to round up all of God's prophets and put them to death. And there's at one point when Elijah is sitting there before God, and he goes, I'm the only one left. God, they're all dead. I'm the only one left. But this never stopped God from pursuing his people. He continued to seek the good fruit from his vineyard. He continues to seek the hearts of his people. In the Old Testament book of Hosea, he even compares Israel to an unfaithful wife, constantly in search of other men. But God is the loving and gracious husband who continually pursues and loves and forgives and restores now, how many, no matter how many times you've failed, no, how, no matter how many times you've resisted God, no matter how many times you've rejected Jesus, Jesus has never rejected you. God has never turned his back on you. God has never rejected you. And the fact that you are here today right now, the fact that you are listening to this is evidence that God continues to pursue you by putting someone in your life who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Come and hear the good news. Come and hear the word of God. Come and experience that the Lord is good. Come to church with me. Come pray with me. Come read the Bible with me and pursues you and pursues you and pursues you. They're not an annoying friend. They are the love of God that he has sent into your life to call you to himself. He has never rejected you. He is constantly pursuing you regardless of of your treatment of him. He is pursuing your heart. He wants a relationship with you. Some have said that the owner of the vineyard in this story is foolish, 
if you look at it, he sends a servant, they beat the servant. He sends another servant, they mistreat the servant. He sends another one and they kill him. And then it says still more. He sent some they beat, some they killed. He's just constantly sending till he has no servants left. He's just gone through every single person he has at his disposal to send them to him. And some people have looked at this and they've gone, this guy's a moron. What in the world is he doing? We can't possibly compare this foolish owner of the vineyard with God. It looks foolish. And from a business standpoint, it's ridiculous. He's just sacrificing all of his employees and he has nothing left. And finally, he sends his son. Surely they'll respect my son. Why? What in the world gives you that opinion? It appears foolish. But if the owner is God and his sending prophet after prophet after prophet is a part of his relentless pursuit of us, then it's an incredible picture of grace. It's not foolishness. It is love and self-sacrifice and incredible grace because God is so intent on rescuing his people that he pursues his people at great cost to himself at incredible cost to himself. He is pursuing you. The owner of the vineyard, as a last resort, he sends his only son. He sends his only son to bring back what is rightfully his. The only son in a family in this ancient world would have received the entire estate. He was the heir of everything that his father owned. And so the tenants decide to kill him, thinking that his inheritance would become theirs. And so in God's relentless pursuit of his people, in God's relentless pursuit of his treasured possession, God has sent his only son. God has sent Jesus Christ. He's not ignorant. He knows exactly what they will do to him. He knows exactly what's going to happen to Jesus. He knows that they're not going to respect him. He knows that they will kill him. And these religious leaders, even though Jesus tells them this parable and they get furious because he, they know that he's telling the parable against them. It's funny, the, the, the religious leaders never understand Jesus' parables. They understand this one. They get exactly what Jesus is saying. He's telling them, you are in line with those who have killed the prophets. They get so angry at him that he would possibly associate them with those who killed the prophets that they go and plot to kill the prophets. <laughs> they fulfill the parable. They go and plan how they're going to destroy Jesus. And so God has continually pursued them. He is not ignorant. He knows what they will do to him. And the reason he does it is because he knows it'll accomplish a beautiful salvation. See, so the Sanhedrin hands Jesus over to Rome to be crucified. And on the cross, he dies. And three days later, he raises from the dead, proving that his authority is not just over a religious institution. His authority is not just over the religious elite, but Jesus' authority is over death. Jesus has power over death itself. And through faith, anyone who receives Jesus, anyone who receives the Son, receives this same power over death. Everything else in the world and everyone else that we could possibly follow can never do for us what Jesus has done for us. 
can never do for you what Jesus has done for you. Your job, your promotion, your finances, your wealth, your status, your vacations, your family, your church, no matter what there else is in in life that you could possibly possibly pursue, possibly follow, it cannot do for you what Jesus can do for you. Even the church is a conduit to connect you to God because what you need is not my preaching. What you need is not excellent worship. What you need is is not your best friend sitting next to you in church. What you need is Jesus. And all we're doing here is just trying to connect our hearts to the heart of God. Only Jesus can do for you what you truly need. Everything in this world that rivals Jesus for authority and for leadership in our lives is what scripture calls an idol. It's a false God. It's something that we look to other than God to save us. Whether it's another person or an institution or money, these idols, these false saviors actually interfere with our heart's ability to connect with the heart of God. And like the bad tenants, these idols are like these leaders in our lives that keep us for themselves and they receive their power because we keep giving it to them. But what if we just stopped giving them the power? What if we just stopped giving, being influenced by them? What if we stopped treating money like it could save us? We get so frustrated when leaders and, and, and people in politics, they just do stuff for the money. But we do it for the money. Why should they be any different? But if we stopped giving money and wealth authority over our lives, they would have to change their tactics. They would. If we stopped giving these other things, status or, or, or the easy lifestyle or, or whatever it is that we're killing ourselves to pursue, if we stop giving that power, it has no power. They're like the wicked tenants. They're like the religious leaders who get their power from the people. They oppress us and exalt themselves. And so Jesus, as he exposes the failure of the religious leaders, through faith, Jesus exposes the idols in our lives. He shows us what it is that we're really worshiping. He shows us what it is that we're really pursuing and he proves them to be powerless to save. He's the one with authority over death. He's the one with authority over our finances. He's the one with the authority over our health. He's the one with the authority over our country. He's the one with the authority over the world. He exposes everything else as a lie and he reveals himself to be the one who is truly in authority. And so he not only exposes these other authorities in our lives, like the the wicked tenants, he removes them from their authority. He casts them aside from their position. And so through faith, we are given a greater leader. We don't have to follow this stuff. You don't have to follow and buy everything your social media account presents in your face. That's just guided by this algorithm. Because you looked at that thing and bought that thing, I'm going to show you this thing knowing you're going to buy that thing as well. You don't have to do it. You don't. You can reject that knowing that you have been given a greater leader. As the vineyard is given to the tenants who will be faithful to the owner's wishes, Jesus is faithful to care for all of God's people. And so among this, this conflict with the, the, between the, the authorities in this world and, and all of these different things that vie for our attention, we follow Jesus. As a church, as disciples, we follow Jesus in all things. And there's, like, there's, there's tons of tyrants in life. 
There are plenty of, of tyrannical leaders in life from bosses and, and, and political figures and all of these other things to addiction and spiritual oppression. All of these things are just tyrants that oppress God's people and exalt themselves. No matter how good or bad the leaders are in your life, if you receive Jesus, if you give your life to the Son of God, then you are set free from their authority. They have no power over you. You are set free from the power of sin and death. You are set free from the power of Satan, the ruler of this world. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have been ransomed from the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of the beloved Son. If you receive Jesus, the Son of God, you're set free to follow Jesus, the Son of God, to be loved by him, to inherit the kingdom that, that belongs to him. Whoever the leaders are in your life, the influences in your life, they may, after you follow Jesus, they may continue to disrespect you. The, your, your supervisors may continue to take credit for your work. They may put you down to lift themselves up, but in Christ, they have no power over your identity. They have no power over who you are or your eternity or how God sees you. You are set free from being that person. You belong to Jesus and no one can take you from his hand. And because we belong to him, through faith, we are given a beautiful in inheritance. Something that I think is hilarious about this story is they think that by killing the heir, they'll get the inheritance. If you know like an heir to a corporation or an estate, the you don't get their inheritance if you kill them. This is not the Wild West. They, they think this is the heir. Let's kill him and inherit the in, inheritance. It's, 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 it's utterly ridiculous. But let's say there is the heir of an estate or, or a corporation or all of this wealth. And that heir falls in love with you and pursues you. And, and shows grace to you and, 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 and invites you into a marriage with them. Now, some of us are going to have to think hypothetically because we're married. But let's just imagine, like, in that, then you actually do share in the inheritance. We don't, we don't get the kingdom by killing the son. We get the kingdom by entering into covenant with the son. We receive the kingdom. We receive the blessing. We receive all that God has and all that God has to offer, not by rejecting Jesus, but by receiving Jesus. And so if you're following Jesus, the scriptures say that you are a child of God and an heir, a co-heir with Christ. We've talked about this before. The reason we are called righteous is because we belong to Jesus and Jesus is righteous. The reason that we are declared holy is because Jesus is holy and we belong to Jesus. The reason that we have life is because life belongs to Jesus and so do we. The reason we have eternity and a relationship with God is because the relationship with God belongs to the Son of God and we belong to the Son of God. The way we receive the inheritance, the way we receive all of God's fullness is not by rejecting him, but by receiving him. And Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. God will have his people. 
He is in a relentless pursuit of those who belong to him. He made us to love us. He pursues us out of his love for us. Even when we'd run from him, even when we were sinning against him, he saved us from the wicked tenants, from the wicked leaders in this world by giving us someone better to follow, himself. He's given himself for us to follow. Listen, whether you like it or not, you are, you're under someone's authority. Bob Dylan said, well, it may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Everybody is going to serve somebody. You may think that you're your own boss. You may think that you are the captain of your own destiny, but as your boss in the power that you have over yourself, I just want to ask you, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing with your life? What are you pursuing with your money? What are you pursuing with your career? What are you pursuing with the gifts and talents that God has given you? What are you using your authority over yourself for? Is it to give yourself away to Jesus because he has given himself away for you? Or is it to add as much much toys and experience and pleasure as you can in your life? What are you striving for? Because if it's not Jesus, then it will never lead you to what you truly need. And whether you like it or not, not only are we all under authority, but we're all leaders in some respect. Each and every one of us has influence. We've got influence to affect the people in our sphere of influence. And we can use our influence to make our own names great. We can use our influence to make the name of Jesus known. But only one of those options will bring life to you. Only one of those options will be life-giving because if you need the approval of others to experience joy and life in this world, then when that approval goes away, you are crushed. But if you know that you have all the approval, all of the life, all of the joy available to you in Jesus, then even when we fail to make his name known, We still have someone to run back to who will cover us and lift us up and comfort us and encourage us and lavish us with love and blessing. The only way we're going to be able to remove ourselves from under the authority of all of these these desperately, just all these lies, all these other things that we can pursue or give up influencing people for our own glory is when we truly receive the inheritance that Jesus offers us by grace. By faith, you are co-heirs with the Son of God. He has literally given you heaven and earth and power over death. Who else are you going to follow? What else can this world offer? Who else are we going to follow but Jesus? And so, Reality Carp, let's follow Jesus together. Whatever comes our way, whatever stands in the way, whatever tries to interfere or challenge or question Jesus, let's follow him knowing that he exposes it, that he delivers it, that he sets us free from it, and he gives us a beautiful life, a beautiful inheritance, a beautiful future and eternity with him. So let's follow him together. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for your love, for your pursuit of us, Lord, we're so thankful that you've made us in your image and then 
came to earth in our image to redeem us and to make us like you. Jesus, this, this, so many things in this world have our attention. But God, we pray that you would be preeminent in all things. God, I pray now that even as we worship, even as we respond to this, that you would just stir in our hearts, that you would, that you would expose those idols, Lord, not to shame us, but to set us free. God, I believe that there's one, maybe some people here right now who are aware you've already exposed that idol. You've already exposed that thing that they need to let go of. I don't know why the, the approval of the opposite sex is coming to mind, Lord. Maybe it's of me, maybe it's of you, I don't know. They're, they're aware of that, that idol, they're aware of that pursuit, and they feel shame. God, I pray that you would cover their shame. And though it may cause themselves to, it may cause them to look at themselves differently, you don't look at them differently. God, you love them and, and you want to wash them of that. They already have all of the love all of the approval, all of the, the, the pursuit that anyone else can, can give us romantically, they have something so much greater in you. That they are your beloved. God, I pray that as you expose idols, Holy Spirit, as you reveal these things, would you also cover us from experiencing that shame? And just rejoice that you're pointing out the things in our lives that will lead us astray or hurt us. Stir our hearts, Lord, to let go of these things and cling to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.